part of the Blue Wire Hustle podcast network. So the 2021 Major League Baseball season is underway. We are exactly one week removed from opening day. I have two more of these season previews to do. So today is April 8th, and I continue on with the Toronto Blue Jays. So two more to do, Blue Jays today, and then I finish up this entire series with the Washington Nationals tomorrow. The Blue Jays are really a team that I've mentioned a lot before, and I finally get to go get into today. And it's an interesting time to talk about the Blue Jays at the kind of the crux of the season that they're at right now. They're at 500. They're three and three. It's obviously so early on, but they have split series. They won their first series against the Yankees, which I think is a lot more of an indication of what their ceiling can be this season, whereas they went 1-2 against the Rangers, also on the road. So as usual, I'll talk about my impressions from the 2021 season so far, then I'll get into a wrap-up of the offseason, position battles, starting pitching, relief pitching, bench, and prospects before I finish with Pakoda and my philosophy on the future of this team. So, I mentioned the Toronto Blue Jays 32 and 28 last year didn't make the playoffs because of the very crowded AL East and it continues to be a crowded division. But I think the Blue Jays saw an opening and they really 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 capitalized. They spent nearly 200 million dollars this offseason, added some high high impact players and they want to make a splash. And so far, though the numbers don't necessarily show it, I think they have. And like like I said, they show what this team can be. So they went 2-1 and one against the Yankees, and they went 1-2 against the Rangers. My immediate impressions are that the pitching looks really, really good so far, which I would not have put any money on besides Hanju Ryu, who's one of the best pitchers in the game, behind him. Didn't expect Steven Matz to do well. Didn't expect Ross Stripling to do well, TJ Zoik, all very surprising performances that I think these pitchers can build on. Do I think it's sustainable to expect Steven Matz to throw six scoreless innings every single outing? Of course not. But if he can be better than the 2020 version of himself, that's definitely promising for the Blue Jays. But really, this team will live or die by their offense and their offense needs to come along. It did not come out as strong as I expected it to be with so many young players. I think you have to give a bit of an adjustment period, but for guys like Vladimir Guerrero, Bo Bichette, and Kevin Biggio, I think they're starting to outgrow their fun young core players and start turning into players that really need to produce if this team wants to hit its lofty expectations for itself. So now let's get into the offseason. It was a busy one for the Blue Jays, again, because they saw an opening and they capitalized. They went out and signed George Springer, arguably the best position player on the market, to a six-year, $150 million deal. He does everything for this team. He adds a reliable bat in the leadoff spot. He adds high, high-quality defense and offense. He's just, he's perfect for them. He's a great veteran presence. He's a great postseason experience mentor. They also brought in Marcus Semien, who I'm excited to talk about. I personally am high on him, maybe higher than a lot of other people are, 
but another older guy that these young infielders especially can learn from. Kirby Yates was an important pickup for the Blue Jays. Unfortunately, he is having Tommy John surgery, so he is out for the year. I think that was their most important pickup because the pitching staff as a whole is their weakness, but the bullpen especially needed an anchor, and Kirby Yates was the best reliever in baseball just two seasons ago. He also missed all of 2020 due to injury, so this was going to be Kirby Yates' comeback year on a really fun team that a lot of people were rooting for, and unfortunately, he won't be able to play. So that's a huge blow. The bullpen is going to have to figure out how they're going to rebound without him, and Tyler Chatwood maybe is one of those guys as a long reliever role coming over from Chicago. They parted ways with Matt Shoemaker, Taiwan Walker, who was a a cool reclamation story in Toronto last year, and also their 2020 saves leader, Anthony Bass. A year ago, StatCast out above average metric ranked Toronto as one of the worst defensive teams in the league. They also had a top six offense. So the big goals going into this season were continue the offense and you get a huge boost in that category by adding guys like Semyon and Springer and just make this defense average. They moved Vladimir Guerrero to first base. He dropped a ton of weight and he already looks much more versatile. They put Semyon at second. They moved Biggio over to third. They have potentially a gold glove caliber defender in center in George Springer. Guriel and some combination of Teoscar Hernandez, Randall Gritchick in right field. I think this defense is better than it was last year already. It's just going to be seeing how these players adjust to their new positions. So far, so good. But the offense is really what everybody is so excited about. So let's talk about some of these position battles. As I mentioned in the outfield, I think you could see some fluctuations, and especially with George Springer's injury, you've seen a lot of that so far. At catcher, it's going to be Danny Jansen. One of the coolest stories to watch this season will be Alejandro Kirk, the backup catcher. Potentially a dark horse candidate for the AL Rookie of the Year voting. I personally don't think it's going to be close. Ryan Mackassel is up there. Randy Rosarena is up there. There are so many high, high caliber names that Kirk, I think, will disappear, but he's made a splash so far. Danny Jansen will be the opening day, has been the opening day guy, and you're definitely going to see Kirk come in on a Jansen off day. At first, I mentioned that this is now Vlad Guerrero's spot. He looks more comfortable at first. He made an error yesterday picking off a ball. I, I really, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt and some leniency here because he's adjusting to the hot corner at first. He's adjusting to his footwork. He's adjusting to picking off balls. He's done well so far, but what I've really been impressed with is his bat. In spring training, he hit 421 and slugged 737 with seven extra base hits. You can't put too much stock in spring training, but when numbers are that insane, you have to think that this guy is going to have a good season. The reason I hesitated is because in his career, which is two seasons, he is now a lifetime 269 hitter with a 442 slug. He has disappointed, I think generally, from when he came up to now because expectations were so high. Expectations on a player of his stature, you see it with 
Fernando Tatis. You see it with Juan Soto. You see it with Guerrero. You see it with even Wander Franco. Jason Dominguez as on the Yankees is another guy that comes to mind. Usually they are not a good thing because if they do not perform right away, it seems like the sky is falling. It took Vladimir Guerrero two full seasons, and that's okay. Because already he has hit a 114 mile per hour single off of Garrett Cole in game one of the season. That is the hardest hit ball off of Cole since StatCast began tracking exit velocity off of the bat in 2015. That's insane. Vladimir Guerrero has always hit the ball incredibly hard. Now it's all about fine-tuning, making sure his launch angle is optimized so that he's getting the ball in the air more and he's getting on base more. I'm so excited to see what Vladimir Guerrero Jr. can do this year and maybe finally he can hit over 300 with 30 homers. That's seeming to be the baseline for him, which is just insane. New guy at second base, it'll be Marcus Semien. With all this infield shuffling, Marcus Semien played shortstop in, for all those years in Oakland. He's looked good at second so far. What I need to talk about when I talk about Semien, though, is his offense. Because before 2019, Semien was a career 249 hitter in more than 2,500 plate appearances. He had never had a league average 100 OPS plus. He'd never, in terms of OPS plus, been a league average hitter. He'd been below average. Then, in 2019, he had a higher war than Mike Trout. He finished third in MVP voting. His defense got better. He led the league in a bunch of offensive categories. And he was the reason why Oakland was so successful two years ago. And then in 58 games in 2020, he had his worst offensive year. He hit 223. He only had a 305 on base percentage. And his defense took a huge step backwards. So the Blue Jays brought him on on a one-year deal. I, think, I still think an extension is in the future for him. He definitely, well, actually, it'll be different anyway because he plays second this year. He could come off the board with the other big four shortstops that I've mentioned a hundred times at this point, Correa, Baez, Story, and Seager, now that Lindor is signed long-term in New York. He obviously is not even close to their talent, but if he has a good year in Toronto where he can find the median between how exceptional he was in 2019 and how horrible he was in 2020, if he can just be a bit above league average, I think this is going to be a guy that Toronto wants to lock down for the future because this is a long-term success plan in Toronto. Now at shortstop, it's Bobachet. This is his natural position. That's why Semyon moved over to second base. Bichet has been 30% better than league average at the plate since 2019. He is having a slow year. I'll give you that. But it is too soon to panic about Bichette. If it hadn't been for a knee injury last year, I think he honestly could have had rookie of the year votes, MVP votes. He was having that good of an emergent season. He does need to be more selective at the plate. He needs to chase less. If he can bring that walk rate up, if he can drop the strikeout rate and just continue to make contact, he brings a lot of power at the top of this lineup. Now we move to the outfield, uh, excuse me, now we move to third base, Kevin Biggio. Sorry, I skipped him. Biggio moves over to third. He's 25 years old now. He is a career 368 
on-base percentage guy. He had been the steady force at the leadoff spot, and now you brought on the best leadoff hitter in the game in George Springer, so you probably won't see him hit in the leadoff spot when Springer is healthy. Biggio is quite literally the most patient hitter in baseball. I think if you were to put him and Muncie head-to-head, Biggio would have a shot. He does not chase, he does not whiff at pitches outside of the strike zone, and that is part of the reason why he is so valuable and why the part of the reason why he is such a valuable leadoff hitter. So it is so integral to the Blue Jays' success that he continues to get on base. And then you set the table for the power hitters in Teoscar Hernandez, Bo Bichette, and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. So in left field, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., has never had an OPS plus lower than 106. He is at least 6% better than league average. And last year, I believe it was in the 130s. And he will be probably the 6 or 7 hitter on this team. Most lineups were kill for a guy like him. He's supremely underrated. He gets on base. Always good contact. In center, without Springer, who I'll get into in a second... It's been Randall Grichik. It's also been Rowdy Telez, or actually Rowdy Telez has played more of the corner outfields, but there's been a lot of shuffling in the outfield. One guy that even when Springer does come back, it'll be Teoscar Hernandez. You could see him at the DH spot sometimes too, but Hernandez will be the cleanup hitter for the entirety of this season. And if he has another 2020 showing, I think that could really elevate this ball club. Because in 2020, Hernandez led the team with 16 home runs, which prorated over a full 162-game season, would have been 52 homers. He hit 289, 579 slug. He won his first silver slugger. He declined as the season went on. So do I think those numbers would have been sustainable for a full 162? Of course not. But if he gets hot, this lineup is really dangerous. Even when he's not in it, this lineup is still dangerous. But him and then maybe Guerrero, Guriel in the 4-5-6, that is a really, really tough punch. DH, I mentioned, right now it's most likely been Rowdy Telez. You could see him in the outfield. And now let's talk about George Springer, who came on the six-year, $150 million contract. He was actually supposed to to be activated off of the 10-day IL today on Thursday, but now he has quad tightness, so he most likely is going to stay on there and be delayed even further. First, it was an oblique strain. Now it's quad tightness. I don't think these are things to be overly concerned about. Springer has missed time because of injuries so far, but there definitely hasn't been any recurring problem And I think the biggest takeaway from this is that just that it's disappointing. The team will be fine right now. He'll be fine. And when he does debut, we'll finally get our first taste of what Springer looks like in this Blue Jays uniform away from the Astros, away from Houston. And he is quite literally the best leadoff hitter in baseball. He also is one of the best postseason hitters in the league in over 600 games as the leadoff hitter. His slash line is 277, 366, and 501. He almost always gets on base, and that is the way you want to start this Blue Jays lineup. Behind him, I mentioned Alejandro Kirk. Dark horse for AL Rookie of the Year. I will say, he played in nine Major League Baseball games last year. Nine. But 
He only struck out four times in 25 plate appearances. Three of his nine hits were for extra bases. And his overall average exit velocity was 95 miles per hour. So this kid can hit. And it's it's just a, a heartwarming story, honestly, that he made the roster. Another guy, super versatile utility infielder and outfielder Joe Panic and Jonathan Davis, the outfielder, also made the opening day roster. So a lot of positional flexibility for the Blue Jays to work with. You just hope that George Springer comes back quickly and hopefully there is no injury to anybody in the infield at this point. I was gonna say Biggio Bachet or Guerrero, but I think Marcus Semien is just as important to this team now. Now let's move to the starting pitching. I think the Achilles heel of this team. It definitely has nothing to do with Hanji Ryu. He ha- is, for the past few seasons, has been one of the best pitchers in the league, and that is coming off of when he was a free agent with the Dodgers. People were saying he couldn't stay healthy. He wouldn't be able to pitch enough innings. He couldn't go on a contending team and be the ace. He has shut down every single one of his critics, and in 2020, he had a 2.69 ERA in 12 starts good for his second straight Cy Young finish. Hanju Ryu is an absolute beast, and my favorite thing about him is that he doesn't mow guys down with 95-plus miles-per-hour fastballs. He gets his Yankees hitters to swing and miss on fastballs in the low 90s, mixing things up with a nasty slider, a nasty cutter. He has such a large arsenal of pitches, nothing blows you away velocity-wise, but it's just the way he mixes them up and the movement on his pitches that make him so tough to hit. So far this season, he had a no decision to the Yankees, again, against this potent Yankees offense. I think that's fine. Seven innings pitched, two earned runs against the Rangers. Unfortunately, it resulted in a loss because the Blue Jays' offense was non-existent. But so far in 2021, 12 and one-third innings pitched, four earned runs, 12 strikeouts, and 182 pitches. He threw 90 in his debut and 92 yesterday against the Rangers. That is a good sign that he is going to be durable for the entirety of this season. If Hunter Ryu goes down, the Blue Jays are going to have serious problems. He needs to stay healthy so that he can get his 25 to 30 starts. That is literally the most important thing for the Blue Jays to have success. Because behind him, there are a lot of question marks. If I had done this a month ago, I would have said Ryu, Robbie Ray, and then Nate Pearson. Robbie Ray and Nate Pearson are both starting off on the injured list for an array of injuries. So instead, Ross Stripling got the day two start. He gave up three earned runs in three innings to the Yankees. That was a loss. I'm less concerned about the runs than I am with the longevity, three earned runs, isn't going to cut it, especially because this Blue Jays bullpen isn't particularly strong. But Stripling has seen a variety of roles with a bunch of competitive teams in his past. The Dodgers, he was a long reliever guy. He pitched in the bullpen. I believe he started a few games. Now in Toronto, he is going to be relied upon to be a starter at least until Ray and Pearson come onto the scene. So he wants to pitch himself into a solidified starting role so that when they do go back, maybe manager Charlie Montoya won't have a choice but to continue to start Ross Stripling because he's pitching so well. Another name that I wouldn't have mentioned a month ago, TJ Zoic. 
He pitched four scoreless innings against the Yankees. This kid came up in 2019, including this year. He has thrown 38 major league innings. So he is just getting started, and to have that type of debut against an offense as good as New York's is very, very impressive. And then Steven Matz, the most impressive showing at all. I'll start with where he was a year ago. And I talked yesterday with Shauna Vaz. Really, the identity of this Rangers team this year is reclamation projects. And they took a bunch of one-year deals with pitchers who have shown glimpses in the past, but really struggled in 2020. Another guy that can go into that category, Steven Matz. His 2020 season with the Mets, 9.68 ERA in 30 innings pitched. Though he gave up a ton of runs and a ton of home runs, he actually led the majors in his home run per nine ratio, 4.11 home runs per nine, not something you want to be leading in. He had his career best strikeout rate and a career low walk rate. So that is something that the Blue Jays can hold on to. They, I I mentioned it with the bullpen, but they gave up far too many walks last year. So if they can have a pitcher who can go in there and limit the walks, that's important and valuable to them. I was not high on Matt's. I did not think he would be a reclamation project that would work out. I was wrong. (laughs) Against the Rangers, 6.1 scoreless innings, 9 strikeouts. Maybe Matt is back. Maybe he isn't. I don't think you can expect shutout innings every single time he comes onto the mound. But if he can step up in Robbie Ray's absence as potentially a two guy, that is huge for the Blue Jays. And all of this being said... All of these pitchers overperformed, and the offense couldn't show up. The offense didn't score more than four runs in any game so far this season. That needs to change because the offense can't be having any problems if the pitching staff is going to be this, is going to have this many question marks. Another guy, Tanner Rourke, he gave up five earned runs and three innings pitched against the Rangers. They're all kind of placeholders until. Robbie Ray comes back, really freak injury. He fell down the stairs while holding his child and has an elbow contusion. In 2020, he had a rough ERA and he led the majors in walks, something that the Blue Jays need to work on, limiting walks. But his career ERA is 4.26. He had a career season in 2017 where he had over 12 strikeouts per nine and 163 ERA+. plus. They're hoping, the the Blue Jays are hoping they will find the Robbie Ray of old when they re-signed him to another one-year deal this offseason. And then Nate Pearson, the pitcher all Blue Jays fans can be excited about. He's currently on the IL with a groin strain. The Blue Jays will be uber cautious with him because he is the pitcher of the future. He's the 10th overall prospect in the sport. Now let's move to the bullpen quickly. The relief pitchers on the Blue Jays staff last year, had a 12.1% walk rate. Led the majors. That cannot happen this year. You cannot put hitters on base at that high of a frequency. Jordan Romano performed very, really, very, very well in 2020. He has a new slider and a, and a faster fastball. This is actually crazy. His fastball averaged 96.5 miles per hour, and opposing hitters hit... against it last year. Of the 95 fastballs that Romano threw in 2020, 
only one went for a hit, and it was a single. So if Romano can bring that fastball back, that's huge for the Jays. You also have Rafael Dolis, who has performed well so far, along with Phelps, Tyler Chatwood. He had the career-best strikeout rate of his career, but last year before injury. A guy I need to focus on, Julian Merriweather. I mentioned that the sky was falling when Kirby Yates went down. I really... I didn't think the Blue Jays could go as high as a lot of other people did because of their pitching staff, and then to lose somebody as valuable as Yates put them even farther down in my mind. Julian Merriweather stepped up. He has done well in two save opportunities against the Yankees of all teams. Maybe he can step up and be the guy that Montoyo goes to in a save situation, in a high-leverage situation. That'll be important because hopefully the Blue Jays are playing in a lot of those type of games down the stretch of this season. I'll finish up with prospects before I finish with the philosophy of this team. I mentioned Pearson. He's a righty, 10th overall. He's so formidable, very imposing stature, super tall. You also have Austin Martin, a shortstop and outfielder, 21st overall. Jordan Groshans, another shortstop, 43rd overall. Simon Woods Richardson is a right-handed pitcher. He's number 84th. And then a guy who doesn't clock in on MLB's top 100 list, but somebody worth mentioning, Alec Manoa. He threw only seven innings in spring, but he struck out 15, only one walk, and didn't give up a run. People were hoping that Manoa would make the opening day roster because of that performance. He's still a bit far away. But if another injury happens, I think this is a guy that Blue Jays pitchers can get excited about. With all that being said, Pakoda has the Blue Jays at 85 wins. So I actually need to go back and revise something I said earlier this week with my Tampa Bay Rays preview. I mentioned that the Rays would be in the 85 to 87 win range. I actually think they're more like an 87 to 90 win team. I think I, I lowballed them. I definitely think the Rays can reach 91, 90 wins because I think the Jays are just above 85 at literally an 85 to 87 win team, and then the Red Sox are just below them at 85 wins. I don't think the Blue Jays will make the playoffs because their pitching depth isn't enough. Besides besides Ryu, there is such a drop-off that I just don't think it'll be enough. And even if they do make it to the postseason, they would get bounced early because Yankees so far have Cole and then they have Kluber and then they have some combination of Tyon, Montgomery, even Davey Garcia, etc. You don't want to rely on Robbie Ray in game two of a postseason series. With that being said, I am very, very high on this offense. And even though they have not performed very well, they have not hit very well so far, this offense is going to explode, especially when George Springer comes back. And I actually think... That even though the expectations this year are that the Blue Jays are going to compete for a title, I don't think anyone actually thinks that's realistic. But if they don't make the play, if they don't make the playoffs, definitely the Blue Jays organization is going to be disappointed. But they have constructed it in their roster and their payroll in such a way that they added a lot of these pitchers on one-year deals, which I think is extremely important. Because I mentioned earlier, this is a long-term plan for success in Toronto. They signed George Springer to six years. They have Bichette, Biggio, and Guerrera under club control for years and years. They're still so young. They can see what happens with Marcus Semien 
If he has another good year, which I think he will, then they definitely should re-sign him. And then their infield and some of their outfield is very much set. All they'll have to worry about is the pitching staff. And if all of these pitchers underperform, you pay them for one year. No big deal. They're off the books. And then with this offense cemented, they can go and really make a push for some of these pitchers that'll hit the free agent market in a few years. Sean Avaz mentioned Clayton Kershaw. Zach Greinke even will be a free agent after this year. Those are older guys, whereas I think the Blue Jays will want to go after some younger guys who have more club control. But the Blue Jays are in a perfect spot where I think they will... They will play well this year. I was gonna see I was gonna say exceed expectations, but I personally don't think they will make the playoffs, so I think that will be a disappointment. They'll see how they do with the pitching staff that they have. If Robbie Ray does well, if Steven Matz does well, that's more than what people could have hoped for. So you ride on that, and then at the end of the 2021 season, you evaluate, you make another big splash in free agency to get some hardcore pitchers. And then you go out and compete, not only in the AL East against the Yankees, Red Sox, and the Rays, not only in the American League against other teams like the Twins, the White Sox, and the Astros, but you compete for the pennant, for the World Series against the Braves, the Mets, the Padres, and the Dodgers, because this core is very, very exciting and one of the best in baseball. So that'll wrap up my season preview of the Toronto Blue Jays. As always, make sure to check out the link in the bio of this episode for any previous season previews that you might have missed when they were published on SoundCloud before I moved over to the Did You Hear podcast feed. So thank you for listening, and make sure to tune in tomorrow for my last season preview of the Washington Nationals.